Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Hey, listeners. Just a quick message before the episode begins. If you volunteer to participate in our Coffee Invention Taste Test and Focus Group project, please be sure to get your completed evaluation forms to the Iron Radio intern, Kayla, as soon as possible. I've asked Kayla to pass along the list of anyone who takes a picture of their evaluation sheet and sends it to her so I can offer a little reward and thank you for your effort. We've been fortunate that this invention has actually won a few awards, but we need your feedback in order to move forward with the patent and a preliminary release of the product through gyms and coffee shops. Thanks. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a sports nutritionist, and I'm a, what am I, a former competitive bodybuilder. <laughs> and this is Phil Stevens. I run Strength Guild in Topeka, Kansas. I'm also a powerlifter, and as of last weekend, I am a Highland Games athlete again. So, Ooh. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. Uh, this is Dr. Mike Tenelson, uh, owner of Extreme Human Performance, creator of the Flex Diet Cert, faculty member at the Kerrig Institute, and down in South Padre, kiteboarding, trying to jump 20 feet. But I got 19.6 a couple days ago, so getting close. Go. Wow. How do you know that, Mike? I, yeah, I was going to say, how do you measure that? Uh, I have, I'm one of those weird engineers. I have a little device on my board that will measure GPS, uh, jump height, and length. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's probably (laughs) relatively accurate. I don't think it's like dead nuts on or anything, but it's, you know, at least gives you something to compare to, and the numbers to be match what's going on. So, yeah. So would that be an altimeter? Is that kind of what it is? Um, Because don't Fitbit watches and stuff, that's how they tell if you're going up and down stairs or something? Is it the same kind of deal, or is it different? Uh, Yeah, they have to make a bunch of math inferences from uh, takeoff speed, GPS, and a bunch of other things. And they also look a lot at the change in uh, vibration and impact. So as soon as you leave the water, all the little vibrations from the water disappear. And then obviously you come down, even if you land pretty soft, it's going to be, to the device, a pretty big impact. So they can kind of run some math and try to figure it out primarily from that. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, we are, in fact, we are... um just submitting an abstract for ISSN this June, and part of it is, you know, how does a Fitbit compare to a, a waist-worn pedometer, really? You know, they're both oh, sure. accelerometers, but you, you then you start to realize there's quite a few, um, I don't know, estimations they make in, like, what is a step? If it's not on your waist, you know, you wave yeah. your arms, is that a step? And then how do they figure that out? And you kind of, you know, there's lots of, uh, yeah, you engineers, you know. You're giving yeah. us a number, one the, but... One of the old tests on the early Fitbits I do is stand in place and move your arms back and forth and see if it counts that. Yeah. That tells you it's only looking at the basically the potential difference change and not necessarily impact, mm-hmm. but they're much better once they went to like a 3D type accelerometer, not just the right. one or two axis. Yeah. I remember the old, um, the real old pedometers, I think there's a little like conductive metal ball just bom- bouncing up and down on a yeah, little Yeah, it was. Yeah. Okay, uh, but I digress. We have uh, a, 
well, let's start with a listener mail that's going to lead to a couple of news tidbits here. Uh, and then I found one other thing that just came to my attention this week. But Strength and Muscle Sport News. Let's start with an email from Chris. He says, uh, hello. Uh, I hope you're doing well at this busy time in the semester. I'm a master's student in kinesiology uh, at UMass, UMass Amherst. Uh, listening to your show throughout my undergrad had a huge role in me becoming interested in research and academia. Cool. Well, glad to hear that. Thank you for not only educating your listeners, but sharing your genuine and contagious passion for learning. Uh, with my research interest in physical activity and public health, uh, I'll be entering an epidemiology PhD program next year. In an epi class uh, that I am currently taking, we critiqued the attached article. It was a 2019 piece. It's brand new, entitled Associations of Dietary Cholesterol or Egg Consumption with Incident Cardiovascular Disease and Mortality. It seems like something that my fellow listeners may be interested in. So here's his his quandary, sort of. Uh, In the intro, the authors mentioned two more or less contradictory statements. So here we go, right? Eggs, cholesterol, controversy. Um, One, cholesterol is not a nutrient of concern for overconsumption. And then two, individuals should eat as little dietary cholesterol as possible (laughs) while consuming a healthy dietary pattern. So, yeah. Uh, even within an article, it looks like they're contradicting themselves. And Chris, I think you know this, but this is a, a long history of back and forth with are eggs bad or even is total cholesterol or even LDL cholesterol entirely bad. And bear with me, we'll wade through some of this for everybody. If you've ever heard uh, a bunch of stuff on eggs and people get really salty and opinionated about this stuff and I'm not. Uh, my bias is the same as Chris, is that I eat eggs, you know. Um, but uh, let me just uh, highlight just a couple of things from the study. Uh, one, he said, get this, each additional half an egg consumed per day was associated with a 6% rise in cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the relative risk is 1.03 to 1.1. So, oh, wow. you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I look at stuff <laughs> like that. I'm like, mm, okay. You know, um, and also an eight percent risk of all cause mortality. So each half an egg, uh, they were talking about each additional three hundred milligrams of cholesterol per day was associated with a a seventeen percent higher risk of cardiovascular disease um, and eighteen percent higher risk of all cause mortality. So they're looking at cholesterol, they're looking at eggs, they're trying to control for one or the other. I think to get to the idea that egg yolk is a big source, uh, right? He says, my own bias is certainly in opposition to these results. I eat eggs daily, but I have to admit that this seems like some strong evidence. Just a few things that I I wanted to highlight. One was they did control for many potential confounders. Uh, So, of course, when you look at these sorts of things, lots of things could confound this from physical activity to other dietary components and smoking and, you know, uh, drugs and yada, yada, yada. Um, He also points out causality uh, still cannot be established. Well, right, it's an association. We've had whole discussions about that before, right? And I mean, Chris understands that. Um, Just because you see that something is a trend or is related to something else in the population, it's not causal as if you fed that, like fed someone cholesterol and then watched what happened to their 
atherosclerotic plaque, you know. Which, by the way, a lot of the research on animals used to have me rolling my eyes. Like when they're, they're putting – like they're using rabbits and they're having rabbits eat animal foods and then wonder why their metabolisms go awry. I'm like, they're little <laughs> meat herbivores. You know, you can't stuff little pieces of bloody meat in their mouth and then wonder why they're not metabolizing it well. <laughs> now that's an exaggeration, but you get my point. Rabbits. <laughs> rabbits. Um, and then he says, generalizability to our physically active subpopulation is still in need of more research. I think that's one of the cruxes of the issue, Chris, actually. And when I I'll, I'll read you a paper that Mike is aware of from a, a guy I bumped into once or twice, Steve Reichman. He used to be at Kent State, but a lot of his data suggests that cholesterol is is actually helpful to muscle growth. So that's very unusual to think of something like LDL cholesterol as anything but bad, but, but we'll get there. Let me finish the email. Uh, as I have heard you say several times, there are issues with demonizing any single food, such as eggs. I think these results may provide some evidence regarding the health effects of cholesterol. However, I don't think the message should be that eggs are inherently evil and can't be incorporated into a healthy lifestyle. Uh, sorry for the long, detailed email, uh, etc. Um, I hope you could add your perspectives as experienced researchers and nutritionists. Thanks. Uh, best regards, Chris. Um, all right, Chris, here we go. So... First of all, noted what you said. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to completely dismiss that there are people who have a dim view of dietary cholesterol, right? And the eggs are a rich source of dietary cholesterol. Um, I happen to be looking at a paper recently, and this is directly speaks to what you're talking about. It's from uh, Kwong or Quang, K-U-A-N-G, and colleagues in the, uh, the journal Cholesterol just last year. It was entitled, The Impact of Egg Nutrient Composition and Its Consumption on Cholesterol Homeostasis. So I'm just going to read you a couple of quotes from this. It says, as a source of essential nutrients, eggs have been used worldwide to uh, support nutritional needs of human societies. On the other hand, they contain a significant amount of cholesterol, a lipid molecule that has been associated with the development of cardiovascular disease. Now, some of the quotes I'm just going to pull out of this paper you might find interesting here. Um... By the way, this was done in a collaboration between the Department of Nutrition at University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and um, a Chinese university. But here we go. With increasing evidence of weak correlation, the American Heart Association eliminated the restriction of egg consumption in 2002 and the dietary restriction of cholesterol for healthy populations in 2013. So they no longer warn against it. Furthermore, the U.S. Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee also eliminated this restriction from the latest version of the Dietary Guidelines in 2015. And again, no longer a concern about dietary cholesterol. And again, that's very different, right? You're even going to talk to nurses and dietitians who say, watch your fat and cholesterol intake. Well, should we? Uh, you know, it's more controversial than you might think. Here is partly why. In some of the mechanistic portion of this paper, they say nearly 75% of serum cholesterol, right, blood cholesterol in humans, is derived from cholesterol biosynthesis. In other words, it's coming from your liver, uh, mm -hmm. while only 25% is derived from your diet. About 850 milligrams of cholesterol is synthesized by an average 70-kilogram adult per day. So that's not a big person, 154-pound uh, person. 
if the person consumes 400 milligrams per day of cholesterol from the diet and absorbs 60% of it, that means only 22% of cholesterol handled in the body comes from the diet. Uh, and then they go on to, again, suggest that a lot of this is your body's going to make it, right? And if you eat more, your body makes less. It's almost like a thermostat in your home, right? If I bring a really hot object into my house, enough to warm the house, my thermostat is not going to keep cranking out heat on overdrive. It's it's same, you know, sort of feedback loop. Anyway, it says, with increasing evidence, the American Heart Association eliminated restriction of egg consumption in 2002 and dietary cholesterol in 2013. Eventually, in 2015, the dietary guidelines also eliminated this restriction. However, comparing other types of diets, such as Mediterranean diets, the Western diet in the USA contains many more risk factors for heart disease than than dietary cholesterol itself. Uh, therefore, the adverse effects of dietary cholesterol may be overshadowed by other risk factors. Uh, and that's just one. But let me bring up a couple of other things. Well, when I was in Dublin recently with some students, we were hanging out a little bit with uh, Maria Luz Fernandez. She's an egg research. Now, she's funded by you know the egg board, so take that for what it's worth. But she's also... Um, had influence in the sports nutrition-related industry. Um, well, she was one of the advisors for Cass Forsyth, for example. Big brain in the new sports nutrition world, of course. Um, this is from University of Connecticut, UConn Today, uh, 2017. Research study shows eggs decrease bad cholesterol, but increase the good cholesterol. And again, this is from Maria Luz Fernandez's group. Once maligned for raising plasma cholesterol levels, eggs are gaining favor as an inexpensive dietary source of protein, antioxidants, vitamins, and minerals, and are now considered a safe addition to the healthy diet. Uh, and they talk about a PhD candidate there. Um, but I think a lot of her work, and again, I heard uh, Maria talk about this herself in Dublin, but uh, was that there are other things in eggs, antioxidants like lutein and zeaxanthin, uh, even um, different proteins or particle size, there are different other things going on in blood lipoproteins, right? And eggs, some in some aspects, look like they're favorable. So, it, it, again, just sort of pointing that it's hard to tease out. But that headline was interesting. And then here's the one, Chris, for our population that I think is, well, very curious and population-specific. Um, this is from Texas A&M. Education and Human Development uh, publication here. Uh, bad cholesterol, not as bad as people think, study shows. Uh, the so-called bad cholesterol, quote-unquote, or low-density lipoprotein, commonly called LDL, may not be so bad after all, shows a Texas A&M University study it cast, cast new light on this cholesterol debate. Steve Reichman, a researcher in the Department of Health and Kinesiology, says the study reveals that LDL is not the evil Darth Vader of health, that it has made out to be in recent years, and that new attitudes need to be adopted in regards to the substance. His work, with help from colleagues from the University of Pittsburgh, Kent State University, there it is, uh, John Hopkins Weight Management Center, and the Northern Ontario School of Medicine, uh, was published in the Journal of Gerontology. Essentially, uh, Reichman and his colleagues examined 52 adults in their 60s. Uh, they were in good health. They weren't specifically physically active. Uh, none of them were participating in a training program, per se, but the study showed that after fairly vigorous workouts, participants who had gained the most muscle mass also had the highest 
levels of LDL, or bad cholesterol. A very unexpected result and one that surprised us. Uh, and then a quote from uh, Dr. Reitman. It shows that you do need a certain amount of LDL to gain more muscle mass. There's no doubt that you need both LDL and HDL. And the truth is cholesterol is good. You simply can't remove all the quote-unquote bad cholesterol from your body without serious problems occurring. Uh, I've also seen papers that I'm not going to quote here, and these aren't peer-reviewed, but they are university publications about real studies. But I've also seen papers about uh, mood, uh, things like aggression and mood and all kinds of things they're relating to, to serum cholesterol. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what the take-home message is really. Uh, Chris, is that it, maybe it's controversial. Um, I think you can make a good argument that all eating is a stressor of some sort, you know, to some extent on the body, inflammatory processes or, you know, it's almost back to that old adage, the more you live, the faster you will die <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and that, that all, doesn't always mean hard liquor and cigars. That could mean just, you know, eating more Um I even once wrote a lay article for T Nation called High Stakes. It was sort of a pun, and it was about all the, you know, the back and forth about what big eats are going to do to you. If you want to be a tyrannosaur, you might not live as long, you know, that kind of thing. So I hope that paints some picture for that. Um, but the idea that cholesterol is not necessarily bad, this 2011 piece from Texas A&M I thought was very interesting. And I actually had a grad student who his master's work involved – uh, some of uh, Steve Reichman's work as well, like kind of a spinoff from it. So, uh, Mike, uh, any thoughts about the egg thing? Um, y- you know, you've been around, you've seen this. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing where people want the, and unfortunately media is the worst at doing this. You want a simple headline and then the more sort of inflammatory you can make it, the more eyeballs you get on the page. So oh, yeah. they kind of <clears throat> look for those type of studies that you know will get people to stop and be like oh what's this i thought eggs were good now they're bad oh no right it, it's, it's confusing as we all know it's it's not as simple as good or or bad but that's kind of the the simplicity that people want to put it in without a context yeah yeah and i don't doubt that the dietary cholesterol and again we're talking about milligrams people right not grams of fat not grams of sat fat but just straight cholesterol itself like shrimp is a rich source of cholesterol very low fat you know sort of a bodybuilder kind of food um, but nobody is saying that cholesterol has zero impact on your on your blood cholesterol but it's not much and again all those government authorities have said listen let's not Let's not demonize this. And I like some of the commentary, too, about there are a lot of other things that happen in the, in the American diet, you know, the Western diet, that probably overshadow uh, dietary cholesterol as a big concern, or eggs, for example. So, yeah, and one thing, a uh, shout-out to my buddy, Dr. James Heathers, who I, I don't really see a lot of news, but this one actually showed up and came across my desk as, uh, fake mouse on Twitter mocks overgeneralized scientific research. And he, he created a Twitter profile, and it was basically talking about, he put a picture of a mouse, and he put up all these, like, media things, and then the response was always, in mice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, like, they never explained that, oh, this crazy study with this crazy result was done in mice. <laughs> yes. In fact, that that cropped up a little bit. It's going to in our next little news bit, too, is, yes. And like we said, 
if, if population specificity matters among humans, well, God, if you talk about mice or rabbits or, you know, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of caveats. And, you know, you're right. I think what, that's a good message for everyone is that it's not it's not that scientists have no idea. It's usually controversial because a hypothesis is so narrow and reduced down. And when the journalists try to over-extrapolate or, like you said, give it a, a radical title. Uh, yeah. TC did that to me years ago with that spot-reducing-is-real thing. Like, I wrote a piece about how <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> how you, if you use microdialysis, you can actually right. see localized increase in lipolysis and fat breakdown. And what does this mean? You know, and in the in the article itself, I'm saying, listen, it doesn't mean a beer belly is going to disappear if you do sit ups. Nobody's saying that, but but with that title, you're right. And you know, he's a journalist, so he wants people to look at it. So, yeah, right. Phil, what about you? Cholesterol concerns or eggs or how do you approach that whole deal? Yeah, I mean, everything I see is, you know, like you, you've already stated. I mean, that what you're eating has very little impact on as far as cholesterol. Uh, eating cholesterol. What I've what I've seen is like more into your liver making it, and like high, super high carbohydrate intake, and our Western diet can have kind of a more of effect when it is processed in your liver. Yeah. So yeah. there's some of that going around. So I think I like that we have bigger problems in America than yes <laughs> than eggs. You know. <laughs> right. So, right. Uh, that's kind of where I lay. So. Yeah. Didn't wasn't it was it Jim Wendler? I think he was kind of railing against all these like specific issues in the micromanagement. It was years ago, yeah. and yeah. he was just kind of you know in his usual way, just swearing and bad mouthing it, and you oh, know. And well, and then you got guys like uh, Louis Simmons that's like eat as much cholesterol as you can because cholesterol <laughs> turns into testosterone, and you know it's right. uh, <laughs> so Bob Evans yeah. every day. <laughs> yep, exactly. So it's bacon and donuts. So. Uh, you know what? I think we also need to point out, too, um, there are genetic, nutrigenetic di- issues at work here. I mean, I, I recently got my blood work done, and my, my LDLs have never been high, and they were quote-unquote high, okay? Oh. I, I might have mentioned this recently. If I did, I'm sorry. Uh, but my total cholesterol was 201, so it got the little H on my blood work, right? So the doctor's office calls and says, you have high cholesterol, now, most people realize that 200 or below is ideal, and I mean, that's certainly within the error of that kind of test. But here's uh, to the point. So for three months, I ate egg beaters instead of my usual eggs. I used to have egg whites with a whole egg thrown in, and I would do that like every other day probably. Um, so my blood work comes back 196, and the doctor's office calls and says, good job. You got your cholesterol better. Well, what, yeah. dro- what dropped? All of it was HDL. So I lose like six points of HDL, and they're going to congratulate me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Because honestly, that's one of the risks of some of these doctor's office people, too. They're almost practicing medicine. I'm like, whoa, you know, careful there, Einstein, you know. Yeah. All they're doing is looking for that little H. That's right. That's all they understand. (laughs) And it went away, and that made them happy. I'm like, what about the lipid profile? I mean, forget particle size or different proteins that are expressed on the lipoprotein Mm -hmm. packages, you know, and or all these other like antioxidants and stuff like Maria would talk about. So, yeah, there's there's a lot to it. Yeah. And like I talked to you about, I'm going through something right now with that. Got my blood back. And then I went in and met with my doctor and she's like, well, you know, cholesterol is kind of a an iffy thing. We don't really know if it's bad. And now they've got new tests to where it's like she has people come in that are 
essentially high cholesterol, but they do another test to see if it's actually, uh, I'm going to use this in layman terms, but like calcifying, okay. you know, if it's actually doing something. Yeah. She's like, there's plenty of people that have high cholesterol naturally, but it's not doing anything bad, so we don't worry about it. Yeah. So she's like, we're only worried about it if it's doing something negative to you. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's your next step. So, yeah. of course, you don't want like my cholesterol is 600. You know? Right. <laughs> you probably yeah. need to do something about that. But you don't want blood like you know, motor oil. But mm-hmm. I mean, it is a so. nutrient. It's a non-essential yeah. nutrient. You, your body yeah. needs that for production of any number of things. Vitamin D, sex hormones. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Um, well, and one has to think. I mean, when you look at any of these scales for stuff in our body, be it hormones or anything, they, they've built this scale of here's our here's our normal range. One has to think there's outliers on both sides that naturally ride lower and higher than that normal scale. One would expect. I mean, wouldn't you think? You, yes. <laughs> and, yeah, and, you know, Phil, you know. We, we talk about in class, too, in my pathophys class uh, especially, but – over the years, they keep lowering these numbers, right? So they become more and more sensitive. More and more people register as high, right? Like mm-hmm. when I was in my 20s, uh, cholesterol of 220 was considered okay. Now it's 200. You know, they've done yeah. that with blood sugar. They've done that with blood yeah. pressure. Big Pharma loves this stuff. And I don't oh, want to sound yeah. like a conspiracy theorist, but now everybody is yeah. justified to be on meds. The scale drops and Lipitor stock goes up. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, if you're looking to make money, again, not a conspiracy theorist, but hey, if we change this, we can get how many other, you know, tens, hundreds of thousands of people who are going to be on this for yes. many, many years. Yeah. And let's be fair, from both sides, it would also be earlier detection and you could catch people yeah. and treat them earlier. But again, yes. th- like the, the example of the 201 and then that warning phone call yeah. I got, I'm like, you guys. <laughs> yeah. And she's actually going, she starts telling me, well, so you want to cut back on fats and oils and maybe dressings? And I'm, I said, I, I let her roll yeah. for a while. And I'm <laughs> like, finally, I, I, you know, I said, I got it. And then when I got another call about it, which was kind of contradictory to the first one, I said, okay, guys, I have a PhD in this stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate it. But, you know, yeah. I, I didn't critique what they were saying. A, a good portion of what they were saying I thought was even incorrect. But I'm like, don't. Don't practice dietetics. Don't practice medicine, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just said, no, I understand. I understand, you know. And my wife was like, I would have went after him from the get-go. I'm like, well, I know. but And I wasn't doing it just to let them hang themselves. But I thought, well, just be gracious about it. Yeah, thank you for your concern. Mm-hmm. For the 201, like you said, Phil, they see the little H. That's all they know, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, lipid profiles and nutrigenetics and all the all the other dietary factors and like I said, Steve Reichman's work I thought was the weirdest stuff yet, which was LDL may actually be related to increased muscle mass when you put older people on resistance training programs and stuff like that. So, very interesting stuff. Yeah, and to Chris's point, right? Don't demonize any one thing. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'll probably just go back to having my egg. If I go up over 200, <laughs> so be it, you know. And yeah. don't get me wrong. My LDL was high, and it never was before. And maybe this yeah. is just age. Um, yeah, never was so. before. So there's that. Yeah, and it depends on how much, too. It could just be the test. You could have been very well tested the next day and might have been fine if you're that close to the edge. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 You know, it's like what we, we've talked about with low T. You know, you go into the doctor, yeah. and he's like, oh, you're 299 then I'm going to put you on a med, you know, or, but if you're 301, nope, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. With symptoms. <laughs> right. With symptoms. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, yep, exactly. All right. Yeah. One more tidbit, and then we'll go to break, and then we're going to talk about kitchen skills and hacks. Uh, okay, and we... I have a question for you from the okay the page too. Okay. Oh, that's right. Um, this is just real quick. UMass Amherst professor Hang Zhao or Zhao X I A O. Never quite sure about that. Uh, and his research team conducted a study to determine whether whole strawberries, rather than just their you know f- phenolic portion. Uh, like extracts, if you will, could reduce the degree of colon inflammation in mice with irritable bowel disease. So here's the mouse thing, Mike. But anyway, indeed, the mice that got the strawberry, whole strawberry powder, exhibited fewer symptoms of IBD. Uh, Specifically, mice with irritable bowel who consumed the equivalent of three quarters of a cup of strawberries per day. So that's not that Mm. much, not, not even the size of your fist. Uh, of strawberries per day significantly suppressed IBD symptoms such as weight loss and bloody diarrhea and then of course it says plans are underway to validate it in people but I thought that was an interesting one I don't have the actual journal this is a real little blur but if people are interested UMass Amherst uh, Hang Zhao uh, and again a lot of our listeners are women women tend to have more IBD than men certainly it's not you know only women that get irritable bowel but uh I thought that's very interesting, right, that whole strawberries – because sometimes the whole food approach is better. That's another controversy, right? Standardized extract of the quote-unquote active ingredient versus the whole food source. Sometimes it's one. Sometimes it's the other as far as the better effect. But with strawberries – and, you know, it's seasonal. Strawberries are – you know, all berries are coming into season. So if mm-hmm. you have irritable bowel problems, uh, pain, diarrhea, stuff like that, weight loss, strawberries may help. You might want to consider all right, Phil. I'm sorry. So, uh, what do you got? Yeah. So, David Fryers has a question for Lonnie. Is it best to take fish oil in divided doses, i.e., three caps in the morning, three caps in the evening, or six in one go, or is there no real difference? Oh, um, I would suggest probably not a big difference. Uh, there are some things like certain vitamins or minerals I might take in divided doses. Uh, with fish oils, probably not. Uh, I'll give you an example, too. I mean, very high soluble fiber intake will interfere with fat digestion and absorption a little. So sometimes I wonder, should I take all my fish oils when I have my oatmeal or oat bran hot cereal in the morning? I still do because of convenience because otherwise I'm I'm not going to remember. I don't want to walk around with a little pill reminder container in my pocket all the time. Some people do. Um, I would say it doesn't have that much of an impact Um you know, so I, I would take them in regardless of what else was in that meal, probably. Or uh, if you want to take three in the morning, three in the e- afternoon or evening, it, yeah, you might get slightly better absorption. But again, we're talking about a macronutrient that's probably got better digestion and absorption as far as a ceiling goes than something like a mineral, you know, where you might absorb 30 or 40 percent of it if you're lucky kind of thing, you know. So um, uh, it's more of a convenience thing. Do do it when it's convenient for you, and you will remember. And uh, long term, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yes. Whatever, you, whatever you will do, long term, comply. Stick to yeah, yeah, compliance. Yeah, yeah, so. for sure. That's why I like to talk. I always say, Phil, what do you guys do in your gym, right? Because yeah. you can talk about a lot of this stuff. And when the rubber hits the road, this has to fit individual people's lifestyles and schedules. You know, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I've done a super informal NA1 study where I did a, a blood 
lipid test for fish oil. And then I was taking capsules uh, three times a day. And then I did a washout period of a couple of months. And then I did it again, just taking a large tablespoon of the liquid only in the morning. Oh, and wow. for what it's worth, I didn't see any difference in levels. Yeah. So again, end of one, not published, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Well, do you know what is published? And I don't have the reference in front of me here because this is a question on the fly. But Mike, you and I both know the washout for fish oils once they're really Dude. into your tissues. Yeah, it's like 20 yeah. weeks. It's really long. So that begs the question. Tissue you're looking at too. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I know what you're like. Yeah, like uh, erythrocyte membrane incorporation or yeah, you that's know, what I used. Yeah, yeah. RBC. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, yeah. Uh, with a washout that's clearly very long, eh, it's going to eventually elevate and get into your system anyway. And yeah, and I mean, if you blunt some of it with the way you take it, it's not going to prevent it. Yeah, and I would no. think the, the behavioral no. thing is king here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we'll go to break. Uh, when we come back, let's talk about um, what we're eating, what our families are doing in the kitchen. If you have any tips or hacks or, you know, listeners might want to ask themselves, what kind of kitchen skills do you have? Do you do you know how many tablespoons are in a quarter cup? Even a lot of my nutrition students didn't know this kind of stuff. Uh, but we'll try to make it more fun than that. So <laughs> we'll be back in a little bit. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit uh, royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. <laughs> Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes, 
and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everyone, we're back. Uh, you know, we were a little remiss with the news. Uh, Phil competed. And um, Phil, maybe tell us tell us how it went. Yeah, so I hadn't I hadn't even touched. Well, I tried to practice about two months ago, and I just took like six throws with the weight for distance and a couple with stone, and my shoulder lit up. So I was just like, screw it, I'm not going to practice. So <laughs> this is my big test. Just uh, I wanted to see how my hip handled throwing because it's different than oh. you know squatting and deadlifting and things like that. When right. you know you add in the rotational factor and and things like that. Anyways, hip held up fine, but uh, I did better than I expected. I threw. Um, some of the, some of the some of the ones I expected to suck on, I did. Uh, that's where you get me moving, you know. You get me doing in circles, and I figured I'd just suck because I hadn't practiced them. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. but then I did I did real well. Like on Sheaf, I ended up pissing off some guys because I hadn't done this in five years. So a lot of the guys I didn't even know. Um, and I had nowhere no clue where to start. Normally on Sheaf, they like ask where you want to start, and because I hadn't touched one in five years, I had no clue. So I started the lowest. Started like 18 feet and uh, ended up breaking a field field record by two feet. The old field nice. record the old field record was 30 feet, and I ended up going 32 and cleared that by like a foot and a half. Oh, man. So oh. called it there. But, yeah, ended up going 32 feet on Sheaf. And uh, so people were like, what the hell? <laughs> they, they shouldn't allow people that can deadlift yeah. 700 pounds to even come out here. Right. So, oh, dick. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I had a good time. I didn't. I had no negative effects besides my shoulder hurting um, the next day. But during competition, it didn't hurt. Uh, hip held up fine. I mean, like I said, I was I was horrible on the events. I figured I would be. But as the day went on, I got better at them. Just because. Well, Phil, can you practice. explain explain the sheaf then to everybody? Yeah, basically, it's a pitchfork, and it's supposed to mimic a pitchfork and like a bale of hay. So it's the only. Uh, event in the Scottish Highland Games that's not actually Scottish. It arrives from like a fair event in Ireland. So okay. you throw this bag of hay or whatever they stuff in there for hype. So over a pole. So uh, yeah, you, your back is towards the pole and you toss it over your shoulder and it goes goes for height. Okay. So ended up throwing that, like I said, 32 feet and cleared that by uh, a good foot and a half. So nice. And then I ended up just stopping there. I had three more throws, but I was like, man, we got a lot of events left, and I'm the only one standing out here still. So, yeah. Yeah. so I mean, and I had already cleared the record by two feet, but uh, after the fact, I found out that the current record this year in Masters is uh, 32-6. So I wish I had taken a couple shots at that, but uh, mm-hmm. I didn't oh, know that. Oh, nice. So, That's fun. But, yeah. yeah, so I had a good time. You know, it was, uh, I'm going to do some more. And uh, oddly enough, I found out the next day I started rolling my shoulder with a, a uh, lacrosse ball. And I hit a spot that was really sore, stayed there, and then all my pain went away, like automatically. So I don't know what's going on in the shoulder, but I'm going to have that looked at some more. It's, I mean, I battled with this pain, then I just found that out. I was like, oh, well, you know, found out something new. So, yeah, look for me the, to do some more high games. So. Long head of the bicep you're on, possibly? Uh, oh, it's clear back in uh, almost – Towards the halfway down my scapula, so it's way back. Oh, interesting. so in, in the back, so huh. um, yeah, that's that's pure Mike Nelson right there, like these, these <laughs> yeah. tender spots and trigger spots yeah. and, and neurology. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fun stuff. So, 
Yeah. Did the weather help, Phil? Like, you mentioned- oh, it was beautiful. It was a, we couldn't ask for a better day. It was right. like 70 degrees and sunny and with some wind. So, oh, oh. I mean, I ended up getting sunburnt, but, uh, no, it was a good day. Otherwise, it, you would have done better, time. probably. You probably would have done better on the, on the, uh, rotational type things. Weren't you banking oh, yeah, on the it bad ended up weather? Not raining on, it was supposed to rain Saturday and it ended up not raining. So okay. that kind of threw, uh, I was, I was hoping for that to aid me. Right. But, yeah, yeah, right. Yep. Yep. But, <laughs> but it didn't. And like I said, no, I mean, I, I still threw my hammers. I was up near a hundred foot without practicing hammers. Um, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was a good time being back out there. And I, if you, for listeners who have never done it, just go do a Highland Games. I mean, they have a way for you to enter in as as an athlete that's never done it, and they help you and teach you how to do it. And it's one of those sports that, more so than even like powerlifting, weightlifting, you are you're a thrower once you're out there. It's like you're part of the family, and they help take care of you. And it's it's huh. a good time. So even if you've never practiced at all, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They have a way. To, so you enter in the novice, and they kind of teach you as you go. So, oh, that's great. And you'll fall around and look like an asshole like with everybody else that's in the right. novice class. So, I like that. But, yeah. So. That's cool. Yeah, talk about low barrier to entry. No training at all. Right? Yeah. Just, just come yep. try it. Yeah. No, they feed you. So they, generally, they always feed you and give you drinks and stuff like that. So oh, it's yeah. good. Yeah. So. Very nice. That's the kind of participation trophy that I can get behind. Is a yeah, exactly. Beer. <laughs> so. And like usual, we we said the morning, you know, the gather up in the morning, and everybody takes a shot of scotch. So before you start the game, you know, you're taking a shot of scotch at 9 a.m. Oh, so. <laughs> that's hardcore. <laughs> so good stuff. Yeah, it's good time. All but. right, all right. Well, let's get to the topic of the day. Uh, I just have a couple of, of questions for you guys. Uh, Mike, let's start with you. You're always doing creative stuff, but I want to try to emphasize kitchen skills or any little hacks you do or um, maybe what you've been eating lately sometimes is a good place to start because I know I just throw this stuff at you guys. But um, any thoughts from you about the, the Nelson household lately that people might benefit from? Yeah, so lately we've been in South Padre, Texas here. So if I – Look at my nutrition the last week compared to normal. It's what would most people would say is pretty atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I'm also been a lot more active too. So I've been kiteboarding for you know two to three hours a day. Usually get up, do some meditation, do a slight run on the beach. Went to the gym yesterday. So I know that in the past from doing this, I can kind of get away with stuff for a little while. Um, but we went to the store the other day, and we you know tend to buy more fruits and vegetables that you can find in this area. So, like, when I make a veggie shake, I'll actually throw a uh, cactus into it, <laughs> which you can't really find in Minnesota. Uh, no. But, yeah. <laughs> um, word of warning, though, they don't take all the little prickers off them when they put them in the store shelf. So, what? if you just go to grab one, it will stab you, because I figured that out two years ago. I thought, oh, I'm sure they removed them all. No, nope, I should have looked. I was an idiot. So, <laughs> um, so we actually, since we drove down here, we actually took our blender with us. Um, so we brought that with, so that's helpful with that. Um, but more when we're at home, the other thing, like I'd say over the last year that was like under 35 bucks that made a huge difference was just a small, uh, rice cooker off of Amazon. It has a uh, metal on the inside, so nothing too crazy with that. And I didn't get one for years because I'm like, how hard is cooking rice? It's not hard. But the thing that I didn't realize was, I kept overboiling it because I couldn't get the, yes. the size right or anything else. And I felt like I just had to watch it. Yep. And I found that subconsciously I never made it then. 
So with the rice yeah. cooker, you just put oh, the rice in, put the water yeah. in. I go lift in the garage, leave the thing run on the counter, come back in because it'll stay warm and everything. I was like, wow, I didn't have to spend like a half hour watching water boil. Um, and then you just put it in the fridge. If you want to get like super fancy, you can put it in a separate container and then heat all the rice up and only take out what you need. Right. So the more times you heat it and cool it, you get more resistive starch. If that's kind of what you're uh, looking to do. Another thing for starches, too, is uh, it sounds I know Phil does this a lot is potatoes. Mm-hmm. So I figured out the easiest way to make uh, regular potatoes and sweet potatoes was just to scrub the outside a little bit, poke them a little bit, put them right on the oven rack. I'll put tinfoil underneath if I'm worried about them dripping and making a mess. And turn the oven on, I think, for about 450. And then I'll go do something else. And then right as I can start to smell them, I'll actually turn the oven off and just leave them sit in there for like another half hour, 40 minutes. And then I'll make a whole bunch at once, eat the ones that I want. And then all I literally do is take a ceramic bowl, leave the peels on them, and then just put them in the fridge. Mm-hmm. And so when you take them out, the peel will separate from the potato after it's been cooled. And so it's super easy to peel them and then just heat them up from there. Neat. Yeah, yeah so those things I found for just easy things to do for, like, you know, if you're trying to add, you know, mass and calories for high-quality uh, cheap carbohydrates, I found those two are pretty easy. You know, my wife has been really on a kick, sort of to your point about countertop devices, like with the rice cooker. But uh, yeah, because we we did sushi uh, last weekend and just kind of went crazy with it. And you know, of course, you're using shorter grain sushi rice and all this, and we we're kind of yeah. discussions about how rice can be a pain. But she's also been using stuff like, um, well, you know pressure cookers like she'll make like a lean meat and pasta dish in like a surprisingly little amount of time you know like my parents came over I was like oh i'll make like a pasta dish i'm like really (laughs) and you know (laughs) like 20 minutes later it's served and you're like whoa whoa but like with the rice right there's always this sort of concern am i gonna cook it into paste you know, right? <laughs> um, and it didn't happen at all. It, it came out like slightly more tender than al dente. It was just like perfect. So stuff like crock pots and pressure cookers and rice cookers, that's a great tip. They are your friend if you're on a tight schedule. You know, yeah, they really are. Uh, Phil, how, how about you? your potatoes, Phil? Yeah, it, it depends. I mean, I'll do it like that, or um, a fast way is like Lonnie just talked about with pressure cooker. If you throw potatoes in there, man, they're done in no time. Mm. And uh, so, and I'll just mash them up, you know, and it's with nothing, you know, just, and then I can just pull out what I want with a spoon. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we do a lot of pressure cooker stuff. My wife's on this kick re- recently, the where it's uh, she just eats tacos, <laughs> 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 meaning you get a little tortilla and put whatever we have in it, you know, some vegetables and some kind of meat, and she's good to go. Um, and it's kind of like serving size, you know, you got your serving right there, whatever I can fit in this little six inch taco shell. Um, yeah, me, I've been, it's springtime. So a lot more vegetables are coming into play, salads, things like that. Um, we, we tend to eat kind of seasonally. So it's like, what's growing is what it even sounds good at that time. You know, when winter comes around, it's stews and steaks and roasts and, and then spring comes around, I'm doing a lot more fish now and I start craving that stuff. You know, yeah. there's times where it's like, man, I want something. I love red meat. Don't get me wrong. 
but it's like I want something different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we start eating more fish and things like that in the spring, and you know we got our garden going and things like that. So you'll get more salads and and stuff. So that's kind of where we're at. Phil, how much of like what percent do you think of your intake just comes from stuff you guys grow yourself? Is it significant? Oh, I wish it was higher, but like all of our eggs, I give away eggs now. So we get so many eggs and then right now, not much because the garden's just going in the ground. Yeah. But I mean, once that gets going, we'll have like most of our vegetables and now we're, we're growing, we're, we're raising our own livestock. So that'll start kicking off this year. Um, we'll be getting, you know, hundreds of pounds of meat from that. So we're raising goats for meat mm-hmm. and we had our first little babies. So our, our goat population doubled about two, three weeks ago. Oh. Uh, they all had kids. So now I've got little cute, I got little kid goats running around that are going to be, you know, on the table. <laughs> right. Here <laughs> in about eight months. Yep. So interesting. Uh, yeah. So it's we're we're trying to get it more and more. I mean, honestly, if I could get it up to like fifty percent, that'd be amazing. Yeah. So, but we do a lot. Of, I do a lot of barter too. So I've got a member at the gym that trades me uh, whole chickens for gym membership, things like that. So a lot of our stuff is farm raised. That's so, cool. Yeah, as a supplement, right, to your, <coughs> yeah. to your income. In, yep. or, and even, like our milk is from a local a local lady that has like seven cows. And we go pick up our milk every weekend and things like that. So That's cool. Yeah, the seasonal thing, this time of year, I always think about berries. I even tweet about it. Like, mm-hmm. go buy fresh berries, put them on a cookie sheet, freeze, flash freeze them. It's not going to hurt them. Yeah. And then I have these giant blueberries and strawberries year-round because they're in freezer bags, you know, yep. in my freezer. Um, this is a great time of year to go do it. I almost feel like I'm doing a public service announcement <laughs> because, I mean, yeah. there's so many good things about berries. When, when I was in uh, England, um, every single person that were sitting around those tables and, you know, those Harry Potter-looking kind of dining halls, uh, it, it was for a conference at Oxford, and everybody – was talking about, oh, me too. I eat berries almost daily. Oh, me too. Me too. I mean, it's one of those things where uh, I look at it almost like taking a dietary supplement of some kind. You know, it's, it's just so good for you. And now is the time. You know, buy them and freeze them. Get, the, get them nice mm-hmm. and big. Yeah. Another thing for the rice cooker that I've been doing lately is uh, oats. You can cook up a massive amount of oats and then just keep it cooked. Oh, and yeah. reheat and reheat. And, you know, you can use a rice cooker for that. So I've been doing oats again yeah. and then... Like Lonnie said, berries. So it's like oats and berries oh, quite yeah. often. So yeah, that's a I'll do that as a snack before I go to bed. Sure. <laughs> yes. So. Yep. Um, Mike, you had mentioned doing you know the freezer trick. I, I first picked that up. Um, I was giving a little talk with Pete Lemon up in Toronto, and uh, I started looking at this stuff. Like if you freeze bread, you know, it will lower – the glycemic index, right, by altering yeah. the starch composition and, you know, making it more resistant and that kind of stuff. And I've only seen that with bread, though. You said you've seen that with potatoes and rice as well. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I believe it was potatoes and rice. And I believe it was the amount of times it was heated and cooled. Okay. Um, so the more you heat it and cool it, the more uh, resistant starch that you actually get from it. Gotcha. Another thing that... Uh, it's sort of a joke in my house, but I thought I would share, um, is I laugh with my wife, but I, I call 350 degrees Fahrenheit universal temperature. Um, <laughs> so almost anything that you want to bake. If you don't know how to bake something, put your oven on 350, preheat it. You're probably going to get pretty close. 
that's true. That's true. Unless you want to brown it like Mike was just talking about a little bit or do do a trick like with the potatoes or something. But 350 is like universal. Go look if you don't believe me. Go look at ingredients. Mm-hmm. Go look at recipe books. You'd be like, I'll be damned. Like 70% yeah. of the time, Lowry is right. It's 350, <laughs> 350, 350. That's um, true. But if you don't know where to begin but you want to make your own stuff, if you have no kitchen skills at all, in today's world, you better get some, right? Because here's us ripping on Big Pharma, but Big Food is the same way. You know, mm-hmm. they want to make everything. Every, so much of the market is moving toward pre-made, prefab, instant. Um, and if you want to get back to as close to the farm as you can, sort of like what Phil was just talking about, um, bake your own stuff, man. You know, mm-hmm. um, boil and bake. Another thing we've been doing that's helped immensely is I think everybody gets caught up in cooking the same thing over and over and over again. So about two months ago, we decided we're going to sit down every Saturday or Sunday and pick out. It's easy now. You can go online and look for recipes. So we pick out four new recipes a week, and that's what we shop off of. We'll go, and usually what I'll do is I know what we have in the freezer. I know what we have in the fridge as far as meat and vegetables and stuff like that. So I'll pick out new recipes based on that. And it's just something new. Man, it's it's nice. You know, it gives us four days a week. We're trying something totally new. And then what ends up happening is you end up, hey, we really like that one. Keep it. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. So you, your repertoire starts growing. So like we have this uh, carnitas recipe that's just amazing that we do that now once every few weeks. because And that came from that. So and it's just really simple. It's amazing how much some of the, we'll call it so-called ethnic foods, are just amazing. Like, I love Asian food and, and mm-hmm. Spanish, Spanish food and things like that. It's so, so many flavors. And generally, if you're, the more authentic they are, the more healthy they are. They're simple. You know, yeah. there's not a lot to them. It's not a lot of sauces and things like that. It's a few spices, some, some vegetables. Um, they're not overladen with, like, thick sauces unless you start going french cuisine uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's it's simple and pretty healthy for you it's meat meat and veggies and then like with with you know spanish or mexican food it's like a, a little taco shell you know a little a little tiny tortilla but it's a uh, good call i mean 20 minutes looking around online for some recipe ideas we do something very similar we do it twice a week though mm-hmm. uh, but twice we come up with two things and that's how we stumbled <laughs> across like um Sort of to your guys' point about, you know, another conversation, but uh, like fish tacos, you know, mm-hmm. we're like, hey, that was really good. We're going to do that. Yeah, more. exactly. You know, uh, and that kind of stuff. But yeah, so we'll do, might do like Mexican one day this week or, mm-hmm. yeah, Japanese or some other eth- ethnic, if you will, food. Yeah. Um, you're right. That's a great place to start. And then you stumble into that. And then the other days of the week, it's either leftovers or utility eating because let's face yeah. it, our, our listenership. <laughs> We know how to do utility eating. Yes. Um, Even if you did that once a week, try one new thing a week. Like you've talked about that before. Buy one new thing that you've never had at the store. Oh, yeah. Over time, man, that adds up. So Yeah, yeah. A different fruit. Yeah, a different fruit this week, a a different vegetable. Mm -hmm. I like those one-pound frozen bags of vegetables Mm -hmm. because they come in different mixes. You can get, you know, like a an Asian blend or you can get like a California blend or just make them disappear by the end of the week. And yeah, almost by sure. definition, right, your diet quality is now higher. Yeah, I do that with clients online. I tell them to play what they call the grocery game. Go to your grocery store, not, you know, place that actually sells, like, fresh whole food. Like, go to the outside, not the inside, and then just pick out something that you haven't had in at least a year. 
I don't even care what it is. The brighter colored it is, naturally, even better. So if you haven't had red bell peppers in a year, maybe you should try those. And it doesn't matter what it is. Just wander around until you find something. You're like, ooh, that looks good. Then buy it and then eat it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, coming from the man who eats cactus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I was talking about utility eating just a second ago, but Kelly and I have been talking about doing this more, but – uh, almost monthly, I think it'd be worth going to buy a nice medium-sized turkey. Uh, oh yeah, she's got a trick, and I'm not. Don't quote me on this, everybody. But she'll crank up the oven to like 550 or something, uh, put the turkey in, and then just not open it. And something like you know, eight or ten hours later, it's done. Like you crank mm-hmm. it all the way up, and you walk away. You turn off the oven and walk away with the turkey in there. I would have everybody just. Go browse that. Don't quote me on that and say, Lowry made me sick. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. You got uh, sick from under-eating cooked turkey. <laughs> right, right. But she's done that multiple times. And talk about, like, set it and forget it. And it depends on the size of the turkey and that sort of thing. But basically, you heat up the oven way above uh, my universal temperature <laughs> of 350. Yeah. You put the bird in, and then you just walk away. And then, you know, tomorrow morning, you're like, oh, or you know, later this evening, depending when you do it. Yeah, it's done. But either way, regardless of how you make it, whole turkeys are a great way. It's like pre-prep built in, right? Because it's a whole yeah. big bird, and then you can just pick on it. And, and I mean, and that's bodybuilder food there. You know, just add vegetables, yeah. and there you go. So yeah, and a, a small version of that we do when we travel. We did this last night since uh, my wife was kind enough to run to Walmart's the only real big store down here. Uh, it's just the broaster chickens. You know, they're usually pretty good. They're usually not too expensive. You just buy one of those. I'll even do that when I travel sometimes. It's like, oh, I haven't had much protein today. I can get to the store, but I don't have space to cook anything at all. I'll just buy a few vegetables and a broaster chicken, and I'm good to go. Yeah. Yeah. One caveat is sometimes you got to watch, at least locally, those are be um, pretty high fat. They're not the they real. Be. Yes. Yeah, because they're, they're delicious for a reason, right? They've been braised in yeah. delicious <laughs> oils and... Uh, but other than that, yeah, and if, I mean, if, if you're not dieting for something, then who cares, you know, in a yeah. sense? Because uh, you're right, the, the convenience is king there. It's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, One other tip, too, we usually get uh, grass-fed beef from a local farmer either in Minnesota or lately we've been getting it from uh, Wisconsin for the past couple of years. And I priced it out a few years ago, and we bought, this year we bought a half, and it was literally about the same price as buying conventional meat from just like the standard you know kind of cub foods type store the downside is you have to buy a quarter or a half at the same time mm-hmm. but if you can find someone to split that with like my parents have even just split a quarter which really isn't that much um so we get a grass-fed uh, cow usually once maybe twice a year depending on what it is usually just in fall um and and that works really well because you get pretty very high quality meat we know where it came from the hamburgers, you know, just from that cow because you actually send us the processor, so they only process that cow, not you know thousands of other cows together. Right. Um, and that works pretty well too because then you just go to your freezer and it's like, oh, what do we have? And yeah, you get you know more steaks, but then you get you know some stew meat and all the other stuff. You get the organ meat and things that come with it too. Yeah, I like it. That's on my uh, wish list is to go get a chest freezer so we can do more of that. Yeah for sure i once yeah. thought well is it am i going to lose the economical aspect of it because i i got to keep it in the freezer the whole time but actually no a lot of these do chest freezers 
a few bucks a year to run those things, man. They're not oh, yeah, nearly not as bad. Much. Yeah, so you're not really losing any of the uh, the economy sort of thing by doing it that way too. Because yeah, there's a financial incentive to do it that way too. You know, so yeah. A big tip I found out the hard way with chest freezers is make sure you look at the compressor and see what temperature it's rated to operate under. But we bought one and stuck it in our garage. Thought this is great. We got room in the garage. We bought like half a cow, stuck it in there. And I started getting paranoid for some reason. So every time I go out there, I stuck a thermocouple in it, and I would check the temperature. <laughs> the wife's like, what are you doing? It's a chest freezer. It's in the garage. Why do you check it all the time? It's, oh, because there's just a lot of money sitting in that freezer, you know? Yeah. And we were gone. We came back. I went out there one day. I checked it. 33 degrees. I'm like, what? Oh, maybe it fell out. Nope. I open it, and the top uh, part of the meat was all warm. I'm like, oh, no, and no. I feel the sidewall. The sidewall is like room temperature. I'm like, oh, crap. So we ended up losing about 30 pounds of meat. Luckily, it wasn't any steaks or anything like that. It turns out the chest freezer had stopped working, most likely probably a while back. But because it was so cold in the garage, we didn't notice until it got warm out. So long story short, call and get them to bring it out. They can't fix it. They had to replace it. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, these aren't made to be put in a garage. Like, what do you mean? It's not like I'm putting it outside in the cold. Yeah. Like, no, they're only designed to work around 60 degrees as a max lower temperature. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So, yeah, I found out there's a, a difference on the compressors and how they're made now. So That's good advice. Make sure you watch out for that. Yeah. That reminds me of lab freezers. You know how, like, if you have a yeah. cryo freezer in your lab, it'll actually <laughs> notify your phone if it drops or if it goes yep. above a certain temperature. You're like, oh, my God, you know, all my samples. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's... I've known of more than one researcher that's happened. We had that when I was at the University of Minnesota once. The Yeah, and we had to try to transfer them to another freezer, and, oh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> oh, yeah. I once had uh, dozens of CLA samples from a, my dissertation. And the freezer went belly up, and um, uh, yeah, the lab tech was notified, right? Because again, they, yep. unlike you, not everybody has the ability to, to monitor like that, but those lab ones do. Yep. Uh, and I'm like, and he's like, and I, by the time I got there, it, it was open. He had everything sitting out. It was all thawed. I'm like, oh my god. Uh, anyway, uh, that's a tangent, but uh, yeah. one last kitchen hack or tidbit for everybody, for me at least, is. Uh, salmon patties. If you don't go buy fish oils and you need a relatively inexpensive way to get omega threes, I always tell college students this, but if you just buy canned salmon, uh, bone it as desired, you know, but mash it up basically with some egg whites and some crackers, uh, and Pam fry it like cooking spray. Um, they're delicious. They're fast. You get tons of protein and omega threes. And that's the kind of stuff that I can't say is very pervasive in the food supply. You know, so if you don't go get fish oil supplements or you don't like salmon fillets as much, because that's another food you got to be real careful not to overcook, you know. Uh, but um, salmon patties, it's just a real low skill, you know, mush it up, make patties like a burger patty almost, but with the salmon and the egg white and the cracker, put it in a pan, and you're just really loading up on the omega 3s and, and the quality protein. So that's one of my yeah. favorites too. A trick on salmon, too, is look for something called a Keta salmon, K-E-T-A. I know, like, in Minnesota, the Midwest Target used to sell them, like a big slab of the fish already in the frozen section. Um, 
it's kind of like considered poor man salmon, I guess you could say. Okay. Um, but most of the time it is wild caught and it is pretty high in omega-3. I don't think it tastes too bad. We used to just put uh, foil on the grill and then grill it that way. And it's actually pretty good. And the price is usually not too bad either compared to, you know, sockeye or king salmon or other other versions of salmon that you might find. So people can look for that. Good tip. Okay. Well, I know Phil had to jet, so uh, I guess we'll just sign off for him, everyone. Next week, we plan to have a powerlifter guest, so that's why we did some nutrition stuff this week. Again, the pendulum swings. That's pretty intentional. So we'll catch up uh, next time. See you. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each Hall of Iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.